Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the decade when bad is good. When high tech meets high art and living the high life is all the rage. But there's a dark side to 1987. A crack epidemic. And violence is changing America's cities. I just want to shake some sense into you, kids. Life is different in the American heartland. Hardworking folks in small towns still prefer the simple life. A good harvest. Quiet country living. And loud rock and roll. In the heart of the heartland, is Elkland, Missouri. Elkland's a very small community located in Webster County, around 200 people, mostly farmers. The primary agricultural industry was in dairy farming. Elkland was a community of people who knew each other their whole lives. In the 1980s, I was living in Elkland. It had three little stores, post office, lots of small farms. You knew who lived in every house. They were good Christian people. One of the community's best-known families is the Buckners. The Buckner family were good people. They were clean people. They were hard workers. For the Buckners, every day starts with breakfast just before dawn. The son of a respected dairy farmer, Steve Buckner bought his own farm back in 1979 and married his high school sweetheart, Jan. Steve was a good guy. Everybody liked him. He was real likable. His wife, I knew her family. She'd come to town once in a while with the kids. Their four sons help out on the farm. None of them works harder than the Buckner's oldest son, 14-year-old Kirk. <laughs> Kirk was friendly. He was a super nice kid. Whatever there was to be done, Kirk was there giving it his best. And he loved his mom. He took care of his brothers. Just up the road, Steve Buckner's sister Julie lives with her husband Jim Schnick on their own dairy farm. The couple has been married for 11 years. Born and raised in Webster County, Jim and Julie are now raising their two kids here. 
We met through a cattle organization that we both belonged to. Finally blossomed into us getting married. <laughs> Jim was a good friend. She was a good friend. They were good people. They're strong, independent people, salt-of-the-earth type people. For years, the Schnicks and Buckners lived the American dream, like their parents before them. Then in the mid-80s, things change, and the life they've always known faces an uncertain future. We're threatened with an economic calamity of tremendous proportions. As the economy slows to a halt, the high bidder is the buyer. American farmers are in crisis. We were doing a lot of agriculture stories, and they were never positive stories. It was always about farmers losing their farms. Interest rates were extremely high, so it was hard to borrow money, and if you did, it was harder to pay it back. It was just hard to make a living. Farmland values plummet as much as 50%. By 1985, 250 farmers are losing their farms every day. Celebrities rally the public with farm aid, and they testify before Congress. People out there, the farmers in this country, are dropping out, dropping like flies, and something has to be done to save them. The Buckner family is among those hit especially hard. By August 1987, Steve has fallen two years behind in his mortgage. The dairies were all shutting down. Nobody was making a very good living, but he was probably gonna lose his farm. With no money for extra help on the farm, Steve is leaning heavily on 14-year-old Kirk. Kirk was out every morning at the crack of dawn doing whatever he could. Kirk slept outside. There was a camper shell off of a pickup truck, and he slept in that camper shell. At that time, I was not in jeopardy of losing my farm. It was tight, I'll say that, and I could get along with most anybody and I helped most anybody. At first, Jim has no problem lending Steve his farm equipment. But as Steve struggles to keep his farm going, he starts taking equipment without permission. You could see it just wasn't a good situation that they was in. Steve doesn't seem to have the drive and discipline necessary to keep his farm. Instead, he depends on others, like Kirk and Jan to do most of the work. His reliance on Jim's generosity only causes tension between the once close brothers-in-law. And eventually, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Over the years, it had mounted up and uh, it had just got to the point that it was causing problems. I just separated myself. After years of strain, these family ties are broken beyond repair. It's 7.50 a.m. and Kirk Buckner is already exhausted. He finishes his morning work on the farm, boards the bus for school. And eight long hours later, the same bus takes him home. Kirk, he was a courteous, polite teenager. And I distinctly remember Kirk Buckner and his siblings getting off the bus that day, about 4.30 in the evening. I remember him turning and facing me and smiling. I was probably one of the last people to see him alive. What's your kind 911? Where is your emergency? Star Route 1. What's going on? I've been shot. The call is coming from the Schnick farm. 
voice is Jim Schnicks. Police speed to the scene and slowly approach the house. Jim is alive, but incoherent. He appears to have been shot in the leg and is bleeding from a stab wound in his stomach. But the grisly discoveries have only just begun. Upstairs, police find Jim's wife, Julie Schnick, shot to death while she slept. Asleep in their room, the Schnick children, eight-year-old Jamie and six-year-old Mindy, have been spared. Not too far from Jim, there's one more victim. Kirk Buckner's body was lying in the hallway. There are knife and bullet wounds in Kirk's chest, another bullet in his neck, and in his right hand, a handgun. It was horrific. It was just a horrific scene. Everybody was trying to figure this out. What could have happened here? Police try to question Jim, but he's unable to answer clearly. I don't know if it was just from the injuries, but there was a period of time there that I cannot tell you really what went on there. Barely conscious, Jim is airlifted to the nearest hospital. Unsure of how these terrible crimes came to pass, the sheriff has a grim task, to report Kirk's death to his family, the Buckners. The sheriff and his deputies steel themselves to deliver the news. But when they arrive, the Buckner house is eerily quiet. Something here is wrong, dead wrong. The sheriff was watching in front of his eyes something that he never thought in his life he would see. Blood, blood everywhere. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. 
From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Webster County, Missouri. Sheriffs just responded to a multiple homicide on Jim Schnick's farm. An attack that's left Jim wounded and his wife and his 14-year-old nephew, Kirk Buckner, dead. Now, deputies have arrived at the Buckner farm to break the news to Kirk's family. But no one answers the bell. It's a very small little house. The children have slept kind of in the very front area and from the door. A couple of the deputies could see what you never in your life wanted to or could believe that you'd see. Blood. Blood everywhere. Kirk Buckner's three younger brothers. All dead. Shot execution style. Two while they slept in their beds. The two-year-old in his playpen. It was a horrific crime. Innocent children murdered. The babies that had just been killed, cold-blooded. Steve and Jan are nowhere to be found. Horrified, the police search the Buckner property. Before long, they find Kirk's mother, Jan, outside the milk barn. Jan Buckner was shot square in the back of the head. But there's still one family member who hasn't been accounted for. Where's Steve? Nobody knows where Steve is. Everybody was accounted for but Steve. Right away, police launch a manhunt for the boy's father, Steve Buckner. Could he be another victim? Or is he the killer? There was, going through people's minds, the possibility that Steve might have committed the crimes. Everyone was there but Steve. It was chaos. It was just chaos. They went after Steve looking for him in the fields. Where's Steve? As police tracked a potential killer, forensics teams get to work at both the Schnick and the Buckner farms. Jim Schnick's overalls he was wearing at the time of the shooting had been taken off him, cut off of him, and sent to the crime lab for analysis. They collected the knife and the 22 caliber six-shot revolver found in Kirk's right hand. They take samples of blankets and clothing. They interview neighbors, 
one who heard voices and a gunshot coming from the Buckner farm at 4.55 a.m. But none of the evidence amounts to a compelling lead. The coroner arrives. The local press soon follows. You could see the sadness, the disbelief on all those faces wanting to know how on earth could this have happened. The killing started here on a family farm east of Elkland. Inside the small town's only store, some people were hearing the news for the first time. Well, I was a shock because, I mean, you know, this community doesn't usually have things like this. And uh, I've lived here for 22 years, and it's just, it's not that kind of community. And I knew everyone had seen them every day or two around here. Beautiful. People were in so much shock, no one could believe that this had happened in their town. Then, later that afternoon, police spot something, halfway between the Buckner and Schnick farms. We heard about a body out near the cemetery area. It's Steve Buckner. Had he taken his own life? The answer is clearly no. Steve Buckner was shot square in the back of the head, twice. He'd been dragged up into the brush another victim of the tragedy. It kind of all came together that the entire Buckner family had been killed. An entire family wiped out. Who could have done this and why? The day after the murders, the Schnick children are safe with Julie's parents. And while Jim's injuries aren't life-threatening, his life is shattered. I don't remember much of anything up at the hospital. I don't think I really accepted the fact that my wife was gone, that she was going to show up by my bedside or something like that. Police are finally able to question Jim and get his story. Jim said he had gotten up early that morning to check on a cow that was due to calve. As he was coming back into the house yard, he saw some flashes. He saw a shadowy form near the front door. He saw a flash. He was shot in the leg. He picked up the knife and he charged down the hallway and had a fight with his shadow. They grappled over the gun and with the knife. He remembers stabbing with the knife. And eventually, this shadowy figure is quiet. The shadowy figure is Jim's nephew, Kirk Buckner. Police now put together a theory about what happened. This is the Buckner home where police think 14-year-old Kirk Buckner began his murder rampage. Police found the body of their mother, Jan, out back by a barn and the body of father, Steve Buckner, a short distance away. We don't know whether he was killed at the home and driven and dumped out along the road, or just what happened. Then, police say, Kirk shot his two brothers asleep in their beds and the two-year-old in his playpen. When the shooting ended here, police believe Kirk Buckner drove down the road five miles to his aunt's house. That's where the violence continued. News Team 33's Lisa Eisenhart has more on that. Kirk Buckner drove his truck into the Schnick's yard, then made his way up to the house, where Jamie, Mindy, and Mrs. Schnick were asleep inside. 
That was my first week on the job at KSPR-TV. So it, it, it was a hard day. Throughout the morning, students heard of the multiple deaths, the possibility their classmate was responsible. Apparently, the family farm had been going downhill for a number of years. Closest friends suspect that may be one reason why Kirk Buckner was acting strangely as recently as last night. A young teenage boy in a depressed farming area goes on a rampage and kills his entire family. But the question on everybody's mind is why? What would drive Kirk to kill? His life was very difficult. It was about the farm crisis, not having anything much on the table and surviving off the kindness of neighbors. There was so much pressure on Kirk to help that family feed itself. Police interview Kirk's classmates to find out what might have motivated him. One recalls he complained his father was lazy and then remembers something else Kirk said, that he'd like to kill him. In my mind, I thought, okay, Kirk sees how they live and the conditions they live in, and maybe he's thinking all of us would be better off in heaven. That's how I justified what he had done. There should be no problem large enough to cause something like this, but uh, maybe it's just a little too much pressure on my, I, I don't know. The community is in shock. 14-year-old Kirk Buckner of Elkland appears to be the one behind this tragedy. As people struggle to understand, they gather together to mourn. The small town of Elkland was quieter than normal today. There was community business to tend to. Virtually the entire town of 200 came for the graveside service in the Timber Ridge Cemetery. We watched just throngs and throngs of people pouring in. It was a time to cry and a time for neighbors to share the strength needed to look ahead. I distinctly remember the caskets all lined up. You have a whole family laid out in front of you. It was, um, it was very powerful. You couldn't help but cry. The injured Jim Schnick can't walk to the graveside, but he looks on as his family is buried. I remember a little bit about that, being there, and uh, I was told later that I'd stayed there for a pretty good spell. It was just a period of time that I was more numb. I went over to the car and I said, I'm sorry, and, and you know, anything I can do. And he really didn't respond. He just sat there kind of with his head down. After the funerals, Neighbors converge on the Schnick and Buckner homes to scrub them down. Now that the police have their suspect, Webster County is ready for closure. Until the sheriff gets a phone call. There's a detail about Kirk Buckner that could turn the police's theory of the crime upside down. One of his teachers called and said, wait a minute, the gun was in his right hand? Kirk is left-handed. Police should be closing the case. They have Jim's statement that he killed Kirk in self-defense during a vicious attack. Confirming Jim's story, police determine the gun found in Kirk's right hand is registered to his mother. The highway patrol who was primarily in charge of the investigation had gotten to the point where they felt like they had done everything that they could do at that point. But four days after the crime, New evidence changes everything. 
word came out that the gun was in Kirk's right hand and the young man was left-handed. So why would he have a gun in his right hand? If he was gonna shoot somebody with that gun, he would have had the gun in his left hand. You know, I mean, it raises a serious question. Stumped, police begin reviewing the case. There's something else that doesn't sit right. According to the original theory of the crime, Kirk shot his dad, loaded his body into the pickup, drove to the cemetery, and dragged him into the weeds. Kirk was not very big. Probably weighed, I would guess, 130, 140 pounds, slender build. His father, Steve Buckner, I'm guessing weighed 250, 260 pounds. He's a large man. There's no way that that young man, that very scrawny little 14-year-old boy, could have pulled his father the distance that that body had appeared to have been moved. As police begin to question Kirk's role in the crime, the small community of Elkland echoes a nagging doubt. If there is a dominant emotion among Kirk's teachers and classmates, it's confusion. They say Kirk never showed any signs of violence, that he seemed just like a normal kid. People wanted the news media to know that he was a good kid, that he loved his mom, that he took care of his brothers. His teachers spoke highly of him. His friends, his classmates spoke highly of him. To Fairgrove High School student Kim Wallace, the impact is direct and painful. He wouldn't think that something like that would happen when you're that young. At that age, I don't think I could do that, and I don't think anybody else could. I don't think he done it. Police pour over the forensic evidence, and new questions emerge, starting with the gun. The murder weapon was a 22 caliber six-shot revolver. To reload it, the retaining pin had to be removed, the cylinder loaded, put back, and then the cylinder retaining pin inserted to hold that cylinder in place when the gun was fired. The gun would not fire without the cylinder retaining pin being in position. Without that pin, it would be impossible to fire the 17 bullets discharged that morning. But the pin is nowhere to be found. Police want to search for it at the crime scenes, but both homes have been scrubbed down and emptied by neighbors anxious to move on. People thought they were being helpful, but what they had actually done was destroyed, you know, the crime scene as such. Kirk's gun in the wrong hand, his inability to lift Steve's body, the missing pin. Police are beginning to wonder if Kirk really was responsible. Dogged investigation turns up nothing until a rumor surfaces, then quickly looks like a lead. Small community and any community, rumors start, and some are right and some are wrong, and some of them you don't want to know. The whole story started changing. What came out was that Jim Schnick had a girlfriend. There was a big rumor that hit town that Schnick was having an affair. Shocked, many who know Jim don't think the rumor about their trusted friend is true. No, he wasn't a lazy man. No, he was a hardworking farmer. I mean, I don't know when he had time to have a girlfriend. But police uncover the truth. 
approximately two years prior to the murder, Jim had received a fairly serious chest injury. Jim made an appointment with a nurse practitioner named Nancy Bruner. What started as a 15-minute meeting lasted four hours. Apparently, they struck up a relationship which turned into an affair. Jim's wife, Julie, had no idea, though she did know she and Jim were drifting apart. That marriage was not what everyone thought it was. We was having problems, me and the wife was, and stuff like that, and uh, this here gal become on the scene, and we, we got in just enjoying each other. Police contact Nancy Bruner to ask for an interview. She agrees. Divorced with two children when she met Jim, Nancy says they developed an acquaintance. And over time, we became good friends. He was going to Springfield on a regular basis telling his wife, Julie, that he had uh, a doctor's appointment. She tells the police she knows nothing about the shootings. But a day later, Nancy Bruner calls police back. She has something to tell them. She lied. She and Jim were deeply involved. He had told her that he was going to divorce his wife, that he was going to be awarded custody of the children, and that they would be married, and that they would just live happily ever after. But Nancy says the plan doesn't play out the way Jim promised. When he isn't with Nancy, he feels the pull to try and revive his marriage. We tried going to counseling and different stuff like that, and, and uh, it wasn't all working. Caught between two women, by summer 1987, Jim's world is about to explode. And that's when Nancy Bruner decides to take matters into her own hands. She had gone to the Schnick residence and had had a talk with Julie Schnick. And so the girlfriend found out at that point everything Jim been telling her was a lie. The wife found out that he was having an affair. Nancy is furious, and Julie's ready for a divorce. Police are starting to think that Jim's affair has something to do with Julie's murder. But then there's Kirk. Police still can't rule him out as a suspect until Kirk's autopsy report comes in. The pathologist involved said that what he was seeing just didn't fit the story. Police thought Kirk died from the knife and bullet wounds in his chest and neck as he and Jim scuffled that morning. But they were wrong. Kirk Buckner had been shot once in the chest, but the bullet was a dud. It had just made an indentation on his chest. The fatal injury, it turns out, is a shot that pierced Kirk's heart that entered through his back. He was shot in the back and then shot again through the neck while he was laying on the ground. He was already dead when the knife was placed in him. If Jim killed Kirk in self-defense, why shoot him in the back? And how did the same gun that shot Kirk in the back end up in his hand? What's clear now is Kirk is most likely not the killer, and Jim's story is a lie. A new report backs up their suspicions. The uh, crime lab discovered that on the leg that Jim Snick had been shot, uh, all the gunshot residue was inside the pant leg. 
it's a sign that Jim could have shot himself. And that's not all. In the pocket of the pants, paramedics tore off Jim to treat his leg. The crime lab finds critical evidence, missing until now. They found the cylinder retaining pin for the murder weapon. The gun simply would not fire without that pin, and the pin was in Jim's next pocket. Believing that only the killer would have that pin, on October 1st, police arrest Jim Schnick. So I remember we went to Troop D headquarters and stuff for questioning, and they was filming it. All right. Jim, if you will, in your own words, please, tell us what happened that night. That morning, Jim says his wife, Julie, was furious about Jim's affair. She called her brother, Steve Buckner, for support. He doesn't hesitate. Somewhere a little before four, about four o'clock in the morning. Steve, her brother-in-law, come over. Steve has a gun. Doesn't take much to set him off when it comes to Jim. I noticed a set of lights come into my place from down in the bottom when I was there. And when I got up there, I went up to see what was going on. We had an argument. He pulled out a pistol. Years of resentment harden into a single moment. He said, I'll just get rid of this hall and clean it up right now. Hey, he said, you can be out of the picture. You can be out of the family. You're of no importance. A flare went up inside of me that it was me or him. And we was fighting over the pistol that I heard it go off once, and he just kind of got limp. And that's the last I can remember where he was at. Jim's story is that he was acting in self-defense. Judging from Steve's corpse, police think otherwise. Steve Buckner was shot square in the back of the head, twice. Fighting over a gun, it's not likely to shoot you in the back of the head. And I was scared. I wasn't sure what I was doing, what was going on. Jim says he gets rid of his brother-in-law's body. But what about Steve's wife, Jan Buckner? She knows Steve was at Jim's house. And then I went on over to his residence. Jan Buckner was shot square in the back of the head. Kirk who is sleeping in his family's camper, wakes at the sound of the shot and tries to escape. Jim says he chased him and they fought, but the autopsy tells a different story. Kirk was shot in the back as he was fleeing and then shot again through the neck while he was laying on the ground. And I turned and I went back into the house. All of my feelings. I destroyed the other three children. When Jim leaves the house, he sees that Kirk is still alive, barely. So he picks him up and heads home where Julie is asleep in her bedroom. Where I went to tell my wife to get up and what had went wrong. I had the gun in my hand, yet, yeah, and I her over my shoulder, 
the movement and the gun went off, striking the wife. And I took her into the hallway and I placed his body on the floor and I shot two more times. Then Jim finishes his rampage with one last detail. He shoots himself in the leg. You know, everybody's got their own ideas and thoughts about why it happened to what was seemingly a stellar person in the community. It's still hurtful. It's still hurtful. Investigators come up with a theory about Jim's motive. Jim Snick was under a lot of pressure trying to have this extramarital affair and keep it secret from his wife. His wife discovering it and telling him she's going to divorce him. The problems with Steve Buckner, all this had just built up in him and he erupted like a volcano. For many, Jim's heinous actions defy reason. I don't recall anyone thinking he snapped. All I recall is people thinking that he was a monster. The time this tape is being ended is at 4.14 p.m. Nobody will ever know what exactly happened on that September morning in 1987. Police only have Jim's story to go on. But what's clear is that Jim is a mass murderer, and his confession is enough to charge him with first-degree murder. If Jim Schnick is convicted of first-degree murder, there is a possibility he could face the death penalty. People lined up literally for hours, courtroom was packed every day. The defense was a, a temporary insanity type defense. He didn't know what he was doing. And for a period of hours was just temporarily insane. Jim Schnick was willing to plead guilty if I would take the death penalty off the table and recommend a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Today, Schnick pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. I feel that justice was done in this case in April of 1988. Today, living in the Missouri State Penitentiary, Jim distances himself from the morning he murdered seven members of his family. I think I tried to block a lot of it out. I cannot see myself stepping over that line to really lose it that bad. But over 30 years later, Webster County still remembers. We were one of those little quiet farm communities that coexisted together. You left your car doors unlocked, your houses unlocked, and uh, it, it, it changed that. It brought us closer together. It made us realize we were no longer in a maybe a cocoon. After the farm crisis of the 1980s, family farms all but disappear in Webster County. But the memory of the Buckner family and Julie Schnick lives on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.